Are there people who come to your door and leave things in a plastic bag, somehow miraculously rubber banded to your door? Oh, so you get those things too. Did you know that as a pastor, you get special advertising curtailed just for you? As a pastor, I get all kinds of emails and flyers and brochures that are encouraging me to market Jesus in my church every week. Ads that promise me that if marketed well, my church will grow, the people in my church will be satisfied, and I will develop what they call buzz in the community. I think that's a good thing. One such company, highlighted by author Mark Galley, uh, is called Guest Check. Here's what Guest Check had to say in their materials that I received. After years of success focusing only in hospitality, Guest Check was approached by a single church congregation over two years ago and was asked to consider providing inspection services. Their primary goal was to assess Sunday morning experience of a non-biased third-party visitor. The church leadership wanted to get an unbiased and anonymous review of the guest experience. They further explained, our team of savvy professionals can secretly worship at your church, analyze it in detail, and present you with a report detailing items that are lacking. With this report, you can make changes that boost your retention rate and make your church grow. Make the adjustments our team suggests, and you'll not only retain more of your first-time visitors, you'll get them talking to their friends about you. And why would I want to have guest check help me? They tell me right in their brochure. We can help you create an environment in which your guests enjoy themselves so much they don't want to leave. (laughs) Because statistics show that now more than ever, Americans have no problem with church shopping or leaving their current congregation and moving on to another. Marketing, Marketing has become so commonplace in the church now that we don't even think about it. Uh, One startup church in Franklin, Indiana, last year launched their church with this edgy teaching series called, What Happens When God Gets Between the Sheets? I saw that and I thought, isn't that called the Immaculate Conception? (laughs) I don't think that's what they meant, though. For years, I've had business professionals joke with me and tell me that even though I'm a pastor, I'm a salesman just like they are. And they'll, try, and, and they'll tell me, and according to them, I'm just selling Jesus and marketing the church. That's the only difference. And uh, you, such comments always get my goat, and I always have to pinch myself. You know, to, to, and if I pinch myself really good, I can get away with just, well, you know, that's one way to look at it, and smile really big, pinching myself to death, you know. And in my worst moments, in my worst moments, when I've had like five, five ten people in a row ask me that, the tenth person, oh, boy. This is the spiel they get. Well, you know, I kind of look at it differently. I don't know. Oh, really? How do you look at it? I said, well, I kind of look at it this way. Y'all were on a ship that sunk, and you don't have a life vest, and you're in shark-infested waters. I, on the other hand, am in a Coast Guard helicopter, and I've thrown a line down. It's called God's grace. You can get the line or not get the line, but if you don't get the line, you're going to die. <laughs> I look at it more as being part of God's global rescue operation. (laughs) And then they usually go, well, it's nice meeting you. (laughs) And and they go on to somebody else. Okay, and so here it is in 2012. 
And with the Church of Jesus Christ in America, it's overrun with business people and marketing practices. And uh, I happen to believe that the people who have advocated business practices and marketing practices meant well. I really do. I think they thought they were going to help Team Jesus out. And that if we could just market Jesus well and market the church well, everybody would walk away a winner. And, and so I don't question their intentions. I think their intentions are good. Um, but I have a problem with marketing Jesus and marketing the church. I've come to see this stuff about me. And so this might create some wonderful conversations this week, today's message. All right. For starters, I don't find anywhere in here marketing. Now, you could say, well, there's a lot of things that aren't in here that we go ahead and do anyway. Yes, you're right. Okay? But the other thing is, I think that when we take uh, marketing and when we market Jesus and market the church, we take God's gift of free grace and we make it into a transaction. Just like anything else that's marketed involves a transaction. Starbucks is marketing coffee and a nice atmosphere for me to enjoy my coffee. And when I go in, I pay them my $1.90 because I get black coffee, okay, $1.90. And I, not $5.95, $1.90, which I think is ridiculous, but I pay my $1.90 and I sit in their wonderful atmosphere. And for that $1.90, I'm getting something. They get something, my money, and I get something, some coffee and some atmosphere. And so that's how it works with anything that's marketed in culture. And I think when we market Jesus and market the church, what happens is it becomes a quid pro quo kind of a thing. You come to First Church, and by coming to First Church, we'll have dynamic, relevant preaching and engaging children's ministry and a really cool band and maybe flashy lights that, that have your heart rate go up a little bit. And, and in return, why, we'll get something back from you. You'll come regularly, or maybe you'll give money or whatever it is, and it becomes quid pro quo. But everything I read in Scripture doesn't talk about God that way. Everything with God isn't a quid pro quo. And for those of us who have said yes to God's grace, we know there's nothing we could do that could pay God back for what he did for us. There's no quid pro quo there. So I want to get into this idea of marketing a little bit. I think, by the way, the whole marketing uh, phenomenon in the church has done a couple of things to hurt us in the church. For one, I think it's made it harder for churches to get um, buildings built. If you look across America, zoning and planning commissions are, are really uh, not looking favorably on churches expanding, churches building, churches locating. Uh, the most recent example of which was right up here in Lexington. A, a church came in, wanted to buy an old school building. The neighborhood was like, no, don't you dare come in. And everyone else was like, no, don't you dare come in. And, and they had to walk away and go, okay, well, we won't come in. It's okay. Um, and, and part of that is because in the transaction way of looking at it, if you're a neighbor and a church comes in, what are they going to do? They're just going to bring in a bunch of cars and traffic. What do you get out of it? Nothing. Why would you want to have a church in your neighborhood? And the second way I think it plays out um, is that uh, it's accelerated the transience of churchgoers. Because um, uh, after all, there's something better down the street, so to speak. Um, and there's, there's the chicken and the egg thing right, with pastors. I believe many of us pastors got on the marketing bandwagon because we wanted to draw people in, but yet we live in a culture, and you've heard me talk about this before, where our culture trains us to be consumers, and so which came first, the consumers or churches and pastors marketing? I don't know. It's a chicken and egg. You figure it out. You're smarter than me. Uh, but I do know this. The apostles were terrible marketers. 
Have you read the Acts of the Apostles? Seriously, I would encourage you to take the Acts of the Apostles and reread it this week with the lens of good leadership, sound marketing, good business. <laughs> yeah, Josh apparently is remembering some stories from Acts. Well, let, let's, let's look at Peter. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and it's this amazing thing, and all these people are speaking in different languages, and Peter, sensing an opportunity, stands up and gives a speech. You and I, with sound marketing, would look at Peter and say, you've got momentum. Work with it. Okay? And so he gets up there and he does this speech. And do you know how he wraps it up? So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Thank God for the Holy Spirit, because about 3,000 people were added to the number of believers that day. But... How many times have you been in a crowd where a politician, this happened to Rick Santorum recently in uh, New Hampshire, uh, people were questioning him about something and he kind of lectured him and told him how they were wrong and he got booed off the stage. It's never really good marketing practices to make an audience feel bad, all right? And so Peter clearly didn't understand this. And I'm going to guess too that the apostles after that speech didn't have the reflection meeting where they talked about what went well and what they needed to change the next time to make it better. <laughs> because if you look, he gives another speech in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John just happened to be going into the temple. There's this man who's lame, asks them for money. They don't have any money, but Peter's like, well, I'll give you what I have. Be healed. Woo! And everybody's like, whoa, this is amazing. God's at work. Again, opportunity for a speech. So Peter, this time, right, won't make the same mistake, right? <laughs> Wrong. This is what he says the second go-round. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate. Despite Pilate's decision to release him, you, you rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded for the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You're kind of feeling what the audience then felt, right? He's <laughs> like, hey, could you lay off? Now, Peter qualified. I think Peter realized where it was going because a few sentences later he says, friends, I realized that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but by then it was too late. And nine verses later, the temple guard comes and they arrest Peter and John and throw them in jail because the Jewish leaders hearing Peter's speech were like, no, this is not going to fly. We're not murderers. Uh-uh, eh, arrested, busted, gone. The apostles apparently didn't care how liked they were. Um, as Mark Galley rightly concludes, thank God the Holy Spirit helped them out. So, so what do we do? Do we market Jesus and market the church so that we can get people to come and, and meet their spiritual needs? I want to say to you this morning, I think not. And again, maybe we'll tow this out in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, I think we should do what Jesus' first followers did, and that's bear witness to Jesus, bear witness to God's spirit and what God's spirit is doing. And I want to talk about that. And to do that, I'm going to be in the book of 1 John. It's toward the end of your Bible, right before the book of Revelation. Uh, 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. There's a word used in this little section, 1 John 5, verses 6 through 10. There's a word that's used 17 times in this letter, 10 of which are used in this packed little paragraph. And that word is testify or testimony. Uh, in the Greek, it's pronounced martyreo or marturion. It's where we get the word martyr uh, from. And it means to bear witness or testify. All right? 
And so this is what uh, John says in this letter, verse 6 of chapter 5. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. Apparently, to give you a little bit of background, the people who were reading this letter had some people in their church and in their community who were claiming that Jesus wasn't really God. And these people in, uh, were saying that, well, um, God's spirit kind of came on Jesus when he was baptized and then kind of left Jesus when Jesus was crucified. And that whole stuff about Jesus coming back from the dead, I don't think that happened. And so John's writing, one of the reasons John is writing this letter is to kind of provide clarity for what really happened because he was a witness. He saw it with his own eyes. All right? You may run across people in your world who have decided for whatever reason that maybe Jesus wasn't anything more than a good teacher. Uh, It happens. But John, in this little verse, is saying that Jesus' baptism and Jesus' death on the cross testify that Jesus is God's son. They're giving witness to something. And then John's going to expand that. And that's the second half of verse 6. He says this, And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. John's saying that the Holy Spirit is at work everywhere, and the Holy Spirit's in the work of every person, whether they've been regenerated or not. And the Holy Spirit is trying to point to truth, trying to draw people back to God. And so when there are these testimonies given about God, testimonies about who God is, testimonies about what God has done, that Holy Spirit who's at work is like, yes. Some of you uh, who uh, made a decision for Jesus a long time ago can say, yeah, I'll testify to that. I was sitting in and the pastor was talking. I don't even know what the pastor was talking about, but I felt God on the inside and God was saying to me, go, go down the aisle, pray this prayer. And I, boom, there it was. That's the activity and work of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so John is saying, everyone who has received the Son has received the Spirit. Let's read on. Um, So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and they all three agree. Verse 9, since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. If you believe someone when they tell you, I got a great deal at Target... You should probably believe them when they tell you something about what God's done in their life. In a, in a sense, that's what John's saying here in this passage, all right? Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God, and God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. Jesus' baptism, his death, and the activity of the Holy Spirit, these three things testify that Jesus is God's son. And you can either accept that testimony or reject that testimony. Um, what John uh, wants you and I to know is that you and I, like him, can bear witness to God. We can bear witness to what God has done. John, in his big book, The Gospel of John, ended it up by saying, I wrote all this stuff down so that you would believe Because I want you to know, I was there, I saw it, I heard it. This Jesus is who he said he was, and boom, 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 boom. Um, So, let me ask a question. What's God done for you lately? Maybe he hasn't done much, I don't know. But what's God done for you? 
there's a good starting point. Rather than marketing, there's a good starting point, I think, for us in the church. What has God done for you? And I know some of us have this thought, and this is the thought we have when it comes to testimony. Well, I didn't murder anyone. I wasn't a prostitute or a drug dealer. I wasn't a millionaire that lost it all and then came to God. I don't have a testimony. That's flawed thinking. If God has done anything in your life, you've got a testimony about God and what God has done. No act of God in your life is too small to share. I want to suggest that to you today. No act of God in your life is too small to share. It's a testimony worth sharing. I'll give you an example. In my small group around Thanksgiving, one of the people in my small group was having a hard time at work. And, and uh, they, they said how on their way to work, they were going through their gratitude list. And one of the things they were grateful for was a warm bed to sleep in. That's a small thing, isn't it? Oh, you got a warm bed. Thanks for sharing. Let's move along. But you know what? The way in which they said it, I could tell they were genu- genuinely grateful. They had a real spirit of gratitude. I could see God at work in it. And that testimony actually encouraged me in my heart. I was having some trouble about the same time being grateful for things. And you know what? I opened my heart up to God and I found my own gratitude quotient getting more. Um, it peaked around Christmas time when I got sick for about a week and a half. And, and I was like, well, hey, could have been worse. I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I'm, pr- I'm grateful for where I am and what I got. Boom. The act of God in one person in my small group Their testimony about it spreads to me. I respond to God and open my life to God, and boom, I've got a a testimony too. And that's how it works. You'll find that when you're talking to someone and they start sharing how they had to replace their hot water heater or their furnace or whatever it was, and they didn't know where they were going to get the money, and boom, 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 boom. And then all of a sudden, this check they weren't expecting came in the mail. And they're like, I know it wasn't coincidence. It was God. And there's a part of you that's like, wow. God took care of them. That's kind of cool. And it kind of ups your faith, doesn't it, to hear that? That's the power of real testimony about testifying about what God has done and what God is doing. And so I believe with Mark Galley that we should move away from marketing and back to witnessing in the church. Uh, I don't think Jesus needs our help to polish his image or to help him kind of edge out above Muhammad or flat screen TVs. I think Jesus will do just fine on his own. I really do. Because I think the Holy Spirit's at work everywhere. Um, What you and I can do is start bearing witness to what God has done and what God is doing in our lives and in the world around us. And we can talk about it, share it, point it out. And when we do, trust that the Holy Spirit, who's at work in the hearer, will do what the Holy Spirit can do, which is woo, draw, convict, change, empower, all those things that the Spirit does in the Spirit world. Um, Let me ask a couple of questions, all right, in light of this. Do we really want to create churches whose guests can't stop talking about the churches? Or do we want to get people thinking and talking about Jesus Christ and what God is doing? I think it's number two. This is my opinion, okay? All right, if you're in a small group at Generations, I want to suggest something for your small group experience. Why not once every four times you get together, have testimony time. It doesn't even have to be for the whole night. Just take 15 minutes out of that night's group night and just share. Hey, what's God doing? What's God done? 
I think you'll find that you're encouraged just hearing what's going on among the other people in your group. Um, It will cement that God's at work in your heart. That's what it will do. Last week, I said that I hope that our church in 2012 will be a church family that has learned to be content with who we are and what we have. And that, yes, we won't, as tempted as we are from time to time, look at churches with buildings and go, well, we'll be content. Okay? Today, I want to say I want our church to rediscover the art and power of testimony. I'd like, I get to hear a lot of them because I'm the pastor and you're always, you know, you're, oh, I got to tell Max, I got to tell Max. Why won't you be telling other people too? Because they need to hear these things too. It encourages me, but you know, the people sitting in this gym, they had a hard week just like you had. And on Thursday, they were thinking, man, this God stuff isn't working for me. Hey God, you're hearing this, you know? Okay, they could use some testimony too to know that God is at fact at work. Um, And so I want us to rediscover that power of testimony. By the way, Isaiah is lining up some testimonies next week. Pastor Isaiah is. And so you you have a story that you want to share. Has God's done something to you? You probably give him a Facebook message. Call him, email him, say, hey, I hear you're having some testimony time. I got a testimony, brother. Let me lay it on you. Kapow. Doesn't have to be big. It can be small, right? Because it's a testimony that God has done something and that God is at work. And you know this, right? God is at work in your life. May not always feel that way, but he is. And it really helps when you and I hear other people express what God is doing. And again, it, I think it's a tremendous burden off of us because when you think about marketing, marketing is all about control. And, and if I paint a product a particular color and I position something a particular way, it will get the consumer to respond a particular way. And I can go through focus groups and I can do this with consistency. I've learned with God, and I'm a control addict, that God doesn't let me be in control. God wants to run it his way all the way, boom. And so I find I'm much better off when I'm just in the flow of the Spirit and letting God be in control, and letting God do God's thing. And when we do that and when we're bearing testimony, God will work in the hearer's heart and in the hearer's mind, and God will do what only God can do. Make sense? All right, so there's stake number two in the ground for 2012.